awesome to be together this morning. Good to see you. Would love to have you take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of First John. First John, which is actually the second John you come to in your Bibles, if that's not confusing enough. Not the Gospel of John, but the book known as First John, this pastoral letter to the early church. Um, it should be toward the end of your Bibles. If you need one, there are red ones around you provided that you can follow along. Um, again, love to have you every, every week. What we do as a church is we worship together and then we learn from the Scriptures. And so we'd love to have you bring your copy of the Scriptures with you. Uh, bring a Bible. <clears throat> if you need it, on, if you have it on a phone, that's totally cool. Uh, if you need a Bible, don't have one, feel free to steal one of these red ones or talk to us in the church office and we'll get you a study Bible. It's awesome. Um, while you're turning there to First John, I want to take just a, a couple of minutes and talk about uh, our, our quarterly update for our <clears throat> the uh, the church budget, the sort of financial part of the church. And I can hear the, like the uh, the collective sighing and groaning um, because probably like you, maybe in your household, like in my household, we have these like budget summits at the beginning of every month. I'm I'm the budget guy in our house. Um, we, we use this, uh, this plan called Every Dollar Budget. Highly recommend it. Um, but I'm kind of one of those folks that just has to know where every dollar is going because this is important. Jesus actually, he says, like where our treasure is, there our heart will be also. So like our, our money is going to sort of follow the things we're passionate about. And so God entrusts resources to us and we want to do the very best we can as families and as a church uh, to make sure we're investing in God's mission in the way God is asking us to. So just like we do this every month in our family, every quarter as a church, we just want to uh, real briefly just say as a church family, here's where we are when it comes to the, um, the finances. We have, like, just, I want to I say from the very beginning, uh, this is thank you. Like, on behalf of the church as a whole, I just want to say thank you for being an incredibly generous people. Um, we uh, are so blessed to be a part of God's mission. And G- God calls journey uh, into His mission. And then He calls individuals, uh, families, groups, to be a part of the church so that we can participate in God's mission. And uh, one of the cool things is that over the last quarter, we've had 25 new people not just coming to the church, but contributing to the church. Like, we have this fantastic resource team of volunteers, a treasurer, and then Donna, the treasurer's assistant, who just does a phenomenal job sort of keeping track of all this stuff. And she sent us a, an email as pastors to say, we've had 25 new givers to God's mission through the church in the last quarter. That is awesome. This is just a sign of new life, of people finding connection with the church. And so I just want to say thank you for, for being so generous. The ways that, uh, that, that you are giving um, are changing lives. And here, here are just a couple of examples. I mean, we could tell stories all day, but um, here are just a few things. Uh, Hurricane Harvey, um, you know, devastated Houston, and, and really a lot of the Gulf Coast of Florida. <clears throat> all right, Florida? Of Florida, too, a little bit later. But um, Hurricane Harvey was here in, in Texas. And we have a church, as a sister church of ours, is Principe de Paz. Uh, it's a Mennonite church, part of the same community of churches, South Central Conference, that we are. And they got hit by the hurricane. Thankfully, it wasn't the kind of damage that was seen in Houston. 
but uh, had some roof damage, some water leaks inside. And so they put out a, uh, just a, a note to the rest of South Central Conference that we're a part of saying, here, here are the costs of our damages. Would you all be able to help us with these? And so every time you give, a part of that dollar goes into our serve portion. This is a portion of money that we just are able to bless the community and the world. And, uh, and so we have money there, and we're able, the serve team was able to just write a check uh, to help cover some of the costs, and other churches are doing the same, uh, to help uh, this, uh, this community of faith get the repairs needed to their facility. So uh, just a cool way that you all, you didn't even know, like you got to participate in this thing. So thank you for that. A few other things. Uh, we are, well, new life, like just all over the place. People are being baptized and coming to faith in Christ. New members. In fact, at the end of our uh, teaching today, we're going to celebrate new members of Bill and Chris Anschutz are joining uh, Journey as sort of covenant members. And so this is just fantastic. Um, of, of signs of new life all across our campuses, church. We are partnering with organizations um, and, and some really cool things, people who are doing really awesome things in our community, and we just get to come alongside of them and say, we want to bless you and encourage you and support you. And one of those organizations is St. Francis Community Services. <clears throat> and um, we are hosting, on Thursday nights, we are hosting the Strengthening Families class. It's a 16-week class for families who have either lost their children into the foster care system or are in danger of doing so. And so we uh, have been working with St. Francis saying, we'll, we'll give you the building, we'll give you like our, our nursery preschool wing and those classrooms, and we want to set up for you, and we also want to provide meals for you all for 16 weeks. And Bo, who's the, the St. Francis coordinator of this program, wrote us a note, the whole church family a note a couple of weeks ago, and um, just said, you know, like we've had churches in the past who've opened up, they did, they've done this in Wichita in the past, who have just said, hey, here's our space, use it however you want to. But the idea that you all would provide meals for us for 16 weeks blew our minds. Um, I talked to Cheryl Riemann, who's like super involved in the program. She's gone through all the background checks, so now she can be in. She can actually, uh, possibly she can help teach. She's a part of our church. And she has said, like, <clears throat> they've had people say, like, I don't even eat lunch on Thursdays because I know the supper is going to be so good that I want to come hungry. Um, and so we get a chance to bless these families who are working so hard to learn what it means to be a healthy family. How do you know what a healthy family is like if you didn't grow up in one? I mean, how do you know? And, and so these, these families are learning, and, uh, and, <clears throat> and we get to support them and love them, and you are a part of this. Forge America, we've got uh, a group of people from all across uh, three campuses and even other churches that are doing this six-month uh, intense um, missional discipleship training. Now, if that sounds fun to you, if like your sort of geek mode just sort of kicked in and you're like, I want to do that, good. I would love to talk to you because we are going to be taking um, uh, new uh, people who want to be a part of the program. There's an event coming up here in November that we have an intensive, um, which sounds really awesome. Have a great speaker coming in. Uh, and if you would like to be a part of that, to just sort of dip your toes in to say, is this something you want to do for six months starting the first of the year? You can talk to me afterward or you can uh, talk to Kirk and Julia. Kirk and Julia, raise your hands back there. They're in it right now. And this is changing lives. It's changing the lives of those who are in it, and it's also going to, the ripples are going to spread out from there to their neighbors, friends, co-workers, and so you are a part of this, of helping to provide this training, not only for Journey, but for also um, even, 
even churches uh, across the U.S. who are joining in this through Howard's initiative, Howard and Kathy, through Revive. And then Journey Kids, um, <clears throat> man, we could tell stories all day, but just Journey Kids, man, the, the, the um, amazing space shifting that has been able to happen where kids are no longer meeting <clears throat> in a room where they're confined, where kids are having to sit on the floor, uh, you know, 50, 60 kids and adults in like one small room. They now have space to grow and worship and be discipled. And the volunteers who are pouring their lives into the lives of these children uh, are honored by the space that we have. And so thank you. Just thank you for being a part of it. So the numbers, the fun stuff, right? Uh, Here are the numbers uh, as of the end of September through the third quarter of the year as we head into the last quarter. You'll see income. These are contributions across three campuses in the green and expenses in the red. And you'll notice uh, we're about $8,000 behind our expenses. Again, we have a fantastic sort of finance resource team that are sort of like always sort of monitoring this stuff and saying, okay, like are there things as we head to the end of the year that as staff, ministry team leaders, we're going to have to scale back, things we had planned to do that we we aren't going to be able to do. Um, You know, so $8,000 in the... Realm of about 600,000 isn't a big deal, but it's sort of there on the radar and just sort of wanted to like make you all aware of this. Um, also want to say that we have, we have a lot going on as a church. Like we have this whole Ignite campaign that's, we're in the end of the third year. We're trying to raise like $2.9 million and $30,000 was given in the month of September alone. So this is not to say there is a scarcity. There is an abundance. So far, year to date, catch this for a second. If you've listened to nothing else, listen to this. So far, year to date, a million dollars has been given to God's mission through Journey Mennonite Church. That's general budget, Ignite, Sunday school classes. That is unbelievable. Um, and that's not one person or a few like select people. This is like Journey Mennonite Church people being nudged by God's Spirit to contribute whatever it is that God is asking them to do, and it is a beautiful, beautiful thing. And so um, I just want to say thanks. And next slide shows, if, like, if you're saying, you know what, I've never, I've never like, maybe giving has never been a pattern, um, and, and I want to start, I want to start small, I want to just take a step of faithfulness, God is nudging me to do this, here are ways you can. Uh, you can give uh, in the offering in our services, cash or check. You can give online. Lots of people give online. Um, you can text. There's a, a number there that you can actually text the amount and the you know, campus you want to give it to. Or you can download this app <clears throat> called Give Plus, and then you can, you can give directly that way. So thank you very much just for who you are. Ready to shift gears? Begin the sermon? Should we talk about numbers some more? Does that sound exciting? Anybody? Keep going with the numbers. You guys awake? <clears throat> All right. I'm not convinced. <clears throat> All right. Um, we are in this book of First John, this beautiful, amazing book, this letter to the church. And um, I, hope, I hope you are as inspired as I am by this. Um, I really feel passionate that God is, is speaking to us through this as we learn, as we immerse ourselves in these words. And so I want us to just, we're going to read 1 John chapter 2, and we're going to read verses 3 to 11. So you can follow along with me, or you can just listen, that's fine. 1 John chapter 2, starting in verse 3. <clears throat> 
For we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar, and the truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. Now this is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. Now dear friends, I'm not writing to you a new command, but an old one which you have had since the beginning. This old command is the message you have heard. Yet I am writing you a new command. The truth is seen in Him and in you. Because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. Verse 9. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister is still in the darkness. Anyone who loves their brother or sister lives in the light and there is nothing in them to make them stumble. But anyone who hates a brother or sister is in the darkness and they walk around in the darkness. They do not know where they are going because the darkness has blinded them. God, we ask that your spirit would enlighten us, that you would, God, just impress these things on us by your Holy Spirit that we need to hear. God, that we would be a church of love and light. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said... Amen. So if you remember, like, we have this vision in front of us as a church, and the vision is this, to replicate Jesus being disciples who make disciples. To replicate Jesus being disciples who make disciples. And um, we have a graphic there. Sorry, I jumped around on you there, Rob. Um, this, this, this vision is important for us to sort of keep in front of us. So this, is, this is where God is <clears throat> leading us, to replicate Jesus, being disciples who make disciples. And sometimes we can make being a disciple so complex. Like, what, what does that even mean? I wouldn't even know how to start being a disciple. And it's actually a really sort of simple thing. It's not easy, but it's simple. In that a disciple is going to move in three directions. Their life is going to be moving in three directions. Up, in, and out. That there's going to be this vertical relationship that we're going to tend to, our relationship with the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then we're going to tend to this relationship with each other, this in-community, directed toward each other, where we're loving each other, supporting each other, caring for each other. And then out on mission. So the disciple of Jesus, this is what we do. We move up, in, and out together. And so you're going to hear this kind of language all throughout John's message here. To replicate Jesus being disciples who make disciples. And maybe you've picked up already, um, as you've been reading First John, that John is writing with this tone of authority. Like, he, he uses the word liar a lot. It's like, um, it's not a word we use very often in my house. Like, every once in a while I hear them, big fat liar, right? And you like sort of nip that in the bud, say, no, 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 we're not going to talk like that. But John writes, Carmen, stop talking like that, is usually what I have to say. Um, <clears throat> Um, sorry, I'll pay for that one later. It's too fun, though. But John, John writes with this, like, this intensity, this tone of, like, pastoral intensity. And he, like, there's this shepherd. Pastors have been called to shepherd the church. And, and, and there's this kind of, like, guarding that happens sometimes when there's conflict in the church. And most people think that John, that this letter is written into a church in conflict. That there's a group of people who are kind of probably pulling away from the church and pulling away from the beliefs about Jesus. And they're adding something to the gospel. They're, they're proclaiming this Jesus plus something gospel. And, and here's the thing. John is so passionate, and we should be too, that there is no such thing as a Jesus plus something gospel. 
That the moment we begin to add things to the gospel, that Jesus has given his life, um, came in the flesh, lived among us, taught us how to live, that he gave his life as an atonement for sins, that he was resurrected from the dead to offer us new and abundant and eternal life with God. If we begin adding things to that, we actually lose the power of the gospel. Does that make sense? So what, what John was probably facing was this group of people who said, you know, like, you, yeah, Jesus, this whole thing. But I tell you what, there's like this second level. There's like this, this special revelation you can get from God. There's special knowledge that God can give you. And if you get this special knowledge, then you can ascend to a higher plane of spirituality. Doesn't that sound good? Right? And John is passionately saying, no, it is not about this special knowledge. It's about knowing Jesus, knowing Jesus. And so he writes here in verse 3, and you can hear it kind of in the subtext if you kind of know what to look for. Verse 3 says, we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. So to a group of people who are talking about like knowing stuff, they've got special knowledge, they've got the inside track that's making them a step up from everybody else. He says, you want to know something? Here's how you know that you know it's if you do what he says. Do you hear, hear what he's addressing here? It's not about a special knowledge, not about some additional revelation. It's about obeying the commands of Jesus. We know that we know him if we do what he says, if we keep his commands. Now, if you have your finger here in 1 John, turn with me to the Gospel of John. Um, what, what you'll notice is in, in, in 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, he's pointing back to the Gospel of John. And kind of drawing on this, which the churches would have known. They would have been shaped by this Gospel of John. And so he's drawing on things that they would have known from the beginning. And he says this in, in John chapter 14, verse 15. Jesus, the words of Jesus, If you love me, keep my commands. How, how do we know that we love Jesus? Well, Jesus says, If you love me, keep my commands. Do what I say. Jesus is like, he calls us friend, right? I mean, he, Jesus says, you're no longer my servants, you're my friends. And then he says things like this, but if you love me, keep my commands. The things that I say, make them the most important thing in your life. If you love me, do what I say. I went to a wedding yesterday, and it was beautiful. Um, friends of ours, and they got married out on a field and have a wedding coming up. Uh, Joe and Katie Hahn get married next week, and I'm performing that wedding. And like, if you, if you, bride and groom are standing, you know, in front of the congregation, and they write their vows to each other, and he looks at her and says, like, honey, uh, my beautiful bride, I will know that you love, I guess I should be standing on this side, I, I know that you love me if you do everything I tell you to do. Or if she said, like, ah, like, thank you for these vows, but like, I'll know that you love me if you just obey everything I tell you to do. We would like, time out. We don't normally do the speak now, but somebody's going to speak now saying this is a problem. This is not love, right? It's conditional. If you love me, you'll do everything I say. And yet Jesus says this. Why? Because Jesus is Lord. Lord. Because his words are true. And we know, like we know and we submit to him because we know if he says it, it's for our good. Because he wants the best for us. And the more we live out what he says, the more we will become like the people God intended us to be. Right? We submit to it because Jesus is Lord. Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commands. Um, <clears throat> in Matthew 28, um, we get a similar, a similar sort of thing 
where Jesus looks at us and is what we know as the Great Commission. He says, therefore, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. So, so to be a Christian, to be a disciple of Jesus, there is this, this beautiful symbolism of, of baptism, of, of, of saying, I surrender to you, Jesus. My life is yours. I will make your words, your example, the highest priority in my life. But it doesn't end with baptism. After we're baptized, the rest of our life is learning how to obey the teachings of Jesus. Um, and sometimes the church can miss this because what we can do is we can have lots of Bible studies, we can have lots of Sunday school classes, lots of missional communities, even a forge cohort, and we can learn lots of cool stuff about Jesus. And we can learn a lot. I love to learn. I'm in school right now and I love it. Like I'm a Bible nerd. I can't get enough of it. But if like, if ever we're, we're like reading the scripture or we learn something, our first thought should always be how can I obey this? How can I obey it? If the light bulb comes on, if there should ever come a time when you are listening to a sermon and you think, oh, light bulb, like light bulb. Um, this is, that was from a movie. Um, and, and rather than saying, oh, that was so good, do you know what the f- best question is? How can I obey this? How can I put this into practice in my life? This is the orientation of a disciple of Jesus is to, is to learn to obey everything Jesus commands you. This is, this is, for John, faith is gritty. Faith is real. It is lived out right here in our everyday walking around, grocery shopping, Netflixing, social media posting, neighboring, working lives. This is where faith in God is made real. Not in some higher existence, not in some spiritual plane, but right here in our lives. So uh, he goes on. And he says, whoever says, verse 4, whoever says, I know him, but do not do what he commands is a liar. And the truth is not in that person. So again, he kind of keeps coming back to this. This is how we know. We, we put it into practice. We obey him. If anyone, verse 5, but if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. Um, verses 4 through 6 there. That love for God is made complete in us when we put the teachings of Jesus into practice. That God's love that sent Jesus, that sent him among us, that caused him to take on flesh in Jesus of Nazareth, that took him to the cross to give his life away, this beautiful song we sang about earlier. The love that motivated Jesus to do this is not made complete, John says, until it is in our lives and expressed through our lives. Is that wild? That the love of God is not made complete, John says, until it, we receive it and pass it on to others. This is the end, the completion, the maturity that God is wanting from the very beginning, that we receive it and pass it on to others. Those who, um, those who know him, are, uh, who, this is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. Live as Jesus did. Now, this sounds like super heavy, right? I'm going to obey Jesus. Like, well, I can't. How am I going to do that? And John is building. Like, he's sort of building and building and building, and it's like this masterful thing. And in verse 7, he, he kind of gives this little aside, and it's awesome. He says, dear friends, I'm not writing to you a new command. Like, this is nothing new, I'm saying, but an old one, which you've had since the beginning. And this old command, it's the message you heard. I mean, it's the gospel. And, but I, 
I'm writing you a new command, and its truth is seen in him and in you, because darkness is passing and the true light is shining. So, I'm, okay, here's the thing. I'm not saying anything new. I mean, this is old, right? You've had it since the beginning, but it's new. And so I'm telling you something new, but I'm not actually saying anything new because I'm saying old stuff, and this old stuff is like the message you've heard from the beginning, but it's not old, it's new and fresh and alive. And so it's not old, but it's new, but it's not actually new because it's old and it's been around for a long time. And so, I mean, you know what I'm saying, right? What? It's, it's not old, it's new, it's not new, it's old? Like, what are you talking about? Here's an example. A couple years ago, I got into running. And uh, I've gotten out of running since then, but I got into it a few years ago. Um, better to get out than in. Um, so there's this, um, th- th- there was this, this amazing, revolutionary idea in running. And that's this, that you were given feet that were made to run ultra-long distances. And the best thing you can do is, like, use your foot. Um, and so there's this idea of minimalist shoes. And so you, the idea was you strip away all the cushioning, all the padding, all that stuff, and you just get back to the way God created your foot. So you strip all that away, and, uh, and you just get this really raw kind of running experience, right? Have you heard of this? Minimalist shoes? Okay. It's a brand new idea. Brand new idea. New thought, revolutionary. Because what had happened is like somewhere over time, somebody was like, well, okay, here's the deal. Like there's the shoe and it's pretty simple. So we have to sell more shoes. How do you sell more shoes? You have to make them new and improved. How do you make them new and improved? You add more stuff to them. Like let's add another layer of cushioning. Pretty soon you end up with something like this. Like you're right walking on a cloud. Your feet never actually feel the ground. And so every year you have to sell a new pair of shoes. So you make them new and improved. You just add more, make them bigger, better. You add a pump to it. How do you sell shoes? Do people already have like big cushy shoes? You add a pump. Remember Reebok pumps back in the day? How many of you had a pair of Reebok pumps? That is awesome, right? Pump it up. Um, And so like there's this, everything just gets bigger and more complex and you add new things to it and all of a sudden somebody comes along and says, what are we doing? Let's just get back. Let's just get back to the simplicity. And it's this brand new idea that has never been thought of before in human history that your feet were made to run. except for like the last 5,000 years, right? So it's new, but it's not new. It's an old idea. And sometimes we need to like strip away all the clutter, all the cushioning, all that stuff, and we just need to get back to the simplicity of it. And that's what John's saying. It's, it's not a new command. It's something you've heard from the very beginning. And here's the thing. The moment he would have said a new command, light bulbs had been going off, dashboard lights are blinking, everybody would have thought the words of Jesus because Jesus says in John 13, a new command I give you. Remember that? Take a look, John 13, 34. John 13, 34, he's talking to his disciples. He says, A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you have lots and lots of Scripture memorized. If you use really big words when you pray. Like, you will impress people. How will people know that you are my disciples, Jesus says, if you love one another? This is the new command. In case we miss it in chapter 13, he picks up it again in chapter 15. Look at chapter 15, verse 12. My command is this. In case you miss the command, this is the command we're called to obey. This is the command that tells us we're disciples. My command is this. Hey, love each other as I've loved you. That's the deal. Love each other as I've loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than they lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. Again, he says that. Verse 17, 
And this is my command. Love one another. Love each other. This is everything John is building to. You obey the commands of Jesus. Are you good? Are you going to obey the commands of Jesus? Are you ready? Because this is big. This is new. This is revolutionary. Here's the command. Love each other. Love each other as I've loved you, Jesus says. As I've given my life away, I want you to give your life away to each other. This is how people will know that you are my disciples. This is what it means to live like Jesus did, according to John. This is what it means to replicate Jesus, is to pour our lives out in love for one another. John goes on, um, and he wraps up this passage, and he says, Those who claim to live in the light, but they hate a fellow believer, they're still in darkness. Those who love their fellow believers, they live in the light and there is nothing in them to make them stumble. But those who hate a fellow believer are in darkness and they walk around in darkness because they do not know where they are going because they have been, the darkness has blinded them. Love one another. Love each other. Love each other. This is the command of Jesus. And John says this thing. He says those who don't, those who have hatred in their hearts, there's something in them that's going to make them stumble. Stumble. But those who live in love for each other, there's nothing in them to make them stumble. And that word stumble is, is the, the, the word uh, scandalon in Greek. It means to set a trap, like to spring a bear trap, right? Um, there is a trap that is set for us, and if we don't, if we forget this, this new old command to love each other, this trap can sort of spring on us. And here's what I think the trap is that John is so concerned about. Is we can fool ourselves as Christian people and as religious people sort of in general that we love God so much that we can hate somebody else. That the Jesus says at one point in Matthew 22, he says, um, somebody comes to him who's not a disciple, comes to him and says, hey, Jesus, what, what do I need to do to be right with God? And Jesus says two things, love God, love your neighbor. Right? Do you remember that? But the rest of the New Testament, what does the New Testament say? What's the command? Love each other. To a person who's not yet a follower of Jesus, Jesus says, hey, two things, love God, love each other. But to the church, he says, love each other. Love your neighbor. Love one another. This is the command. The command. Take a look. Uh, The rest of the New Testament just highlights this. Highlights, it says Galatians 5.14, the entire law is fulfilled on keeping this one command. What is the one command? Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law is hung on this one command. Paul writes to the church. What does Peter say? 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 8, above all, love one another deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. So Paul says it. Peter says, what does James say? James 2.8, if we really keep the royal law found in the scripture, what is the royal law? Love your neighbor as yourself. You're doing what's right. See, we, there's a trap set for religious people that says, you know what, I'm going to love God so much, I'm going to be so devoted to God that I'm going to judge, I'm going to hate, and I can even harm and maybe even kill those people. And, and we can convince ourselves that out of love and devotion for God, I love God so much whew, that I can hate a brother or sister. See, the, the people doing the most harm around the world are not atheists. They are not people who don't believe in God. The people who have done the most harm today and in human history are people who have missed the command of Jesus to love each other. And they have fooled themselves into saying, I'm going to love God so much that I'm going to kill my brother or sister. This is church history, right? The Spanish Inquisition, the Reformation, that the people were so devoted to truth, so devoted to God, that to kill a heretic is to do God a favor. 
And this is a trap, John says, and the New Testament will not allow us to do it. Well, how do we show our love for God? It's by loving each other, by loving each other. And if there's hatred in our hearts for another person, Jesus wants to shine the light and say it doesn't belong there. Who's my neighbor? Who are my brothers and sisters? Who does Jesus say our neighbors are? Who who are we called to love? So, the invitation of this, how do we obey it? Is to allow the bright lights of Jesus to shine on our life and to say, are there any seeds? Maybe hatred's too strong of a word. We would never use that. There's some seeds of unforgiveness in our hearts. Of just, we're just sort of carrying, carrying a grudge, carrying some bitterness, some seeds of bitterness that are planted there toward this person, toward that group of people. And we can convince ourselves, like, oh, I'm right. They're wrong. Of course you are. Everybody's. Everybody sees themselves as right. But the thing that distinguishes followers of Jesus from everybody else is that we will walk in the way of Jesus and we will love those who won't love us back. That, that we will choose to give ourselves away, to obey Jesus, to follow him, to walk in love. Are there any places in your life today where God is wanting to set you free, to set you free from hatred, to set you free from bitterness, from unforgiveness? Uh, what I've noticed is that as people follow Jesus, as they just simply put uh, Jesus' words into practice over time, all of a sudden, sometimes people wake up, sometimes they say, you know what, the hatred's gone. It's just gone. I used to hate that person. I don't hate them anymore. And it's beautiful. This is what Jesus does. This light just shines on us. But sometimes uh, I had, I'll, I'll be real honest, this, this last week as I've been praying about this, saying, Jesus, how do I apply this? I had this, like, the Spirit sort of put, um, put his finger on this part of my life where I had, again, these seeds of bitterness, kind of this root of uh, just hatred toward this particular group of people. And I need to confess it to say, God, I'm sorry. Um, would, you, would you take this from me? And it's going to happen probably over time. As I think about it, I'm probably going to have to confess it again and allow God's light to shine on me. The church is called to be a community of love and light where there is no darkness, there is no hatred. This is what Jesus is doing in us. So, we get to make this real. Uh, we get to make this real by welcoming Bill and Chris Anschutz into the church, into the community of love and light. And so um, Bill and Chris would love to have you guys come up. And uh, this is how we're going to end our uh, teaching this morning. And anybody who wants to uh, kind of come and be with them, I know they're part of a small group, Sundays at 6, uh, you can come and stand with them. There's also a mon- Monday night men's group, right? Men need football. Yeah, right up here. Awesome. Let me grab this quick. Oh. Here, let me move this to the side here. How about you guys come all the way forward here? Yeah. I mean, not like, don't fall off the edge of the stage there or anything, but. Bill and Chris, it is, it is a gift to have you all at this place where you're saying, Journey is my church. And uh, we've been blessed by your gifts already. Um, 
musically. We've been blessed by your gifts, Bill, uh, to sing, to lead in worship, even when you're not up front, uh, to sing in first service and to just offer these gifts to God. Chris, we've been blessed by your uh, teaching ability, by your leadership in the small group. And so I'm thrilled that as a church we get to welcome you into this community of faith. Um, And so we'd love to just... uh, Everybody asked you these questions and you responded to them. But in front of the congregation, we'd love to just invite you to respond again. Just a simple one-word answer is great. Have you surrendered your life to Jesus as Lord? Do you trust the scriptures as inspired by God, and are you open to the Holy Spirit's leading in your life? As you join with the church, will you commit to using your God-given abilities to partner with God's mission through the church as God gives you strength? Awesome. Then it is our incredible joy to welcome you as um, members, covenant members of the congregation. I invite you to, to join with me in prayer. God, thank you so much for Bill and for Chris, for their lives, God, um, for the journey that they have been on together, God, that you have, God, you have used them in so many ways to be a blessing, to share your love, to make your love complete in them and through them. And God, we look forward to ways that you're going to keep, God, just shaping them and pouring out your spirit on them, and we are going to be blessed by it. God, I pray that you would just fill them with joy today as they stand here together and um, realize they are surrounded by a community of faith that love them and welcome them. God, may we be the kind of church that is so full of love and light. God, we pray that, um, yeah, Jesus, that you would lead us to love each other as you have loved us, and that love would just um, would show to the world, to our community, that we are, in fact, your disciples. Bless Bill and Chris today. We pray this in Jesus' name. And the church said, Amen. 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 And now we get a chance to, um, yeah, to sort of speak sort of these vows. Uh, you will do, we will love you if you do everything we command you to do, right? right. <laughs> Won't do that. But we get a chance to say these vows uh, to renew our own sort of covenant with God. So I'd invite you to to speak this with me. As we receive you into the fellowship of the church, we make this covenant with you as we renew our own covenant with God to bear each other's burdens, to assist in times of need, to share our gifts and possessions, to forgive as Christ has forgiven us, to support each other in joy and sorrow, and in all things to work for the common good, thus making known Christ's presence among us to the glory of God. As we unite with each other now, may we all be joined with Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen.